Hey, you? Did you hear about the Lesser of Two Evils marathon that we, the staff of Caustic Soda, recorded with some of Vancouver's funniest comics at the Seven Dining Lounge here in Vancouver? It was great. If you were not able to attend this live show, you can still listen to it by downloading it from causticgear.com. Now, we're releasing it as a pay-what-you-want. So that could be a dollar, that could be a million dollars, or if you want, it could be no dollars if you don't have any dollars whatsoever, or if you just don't like us and want to protest. But hey, if you like it, tell your friends. And that's just the beginning. Eventually, the whole world will stagger and fall to the feet of Count Vertigo. My intro sense is tingling. I'm Torn Atkinson. You can sense EM Fields? Magneto! I'm Joe Fulgham. Jewel Beatles. Nature's hottest sex. I'm Kevin Leeson, and this is Caustic Soda. <laughs> So we've done the five traditional senses. We have. But now we're going to do the sixth sense sixth. and the seventh, the sixth sense <laughs> and the seventh sense and the eighth sense and the ninth sense and all the other senses. I only got six cents left. I can't afford it. What you might call additional senses. I don't really know what to call this episode. Uh, I would like to introduce extra, extra. our special guest, Haley Joel Osment, <laughs> a, a movie superstar. I see non-existent in the studio people. <laughs> joke. Uh, we should call this the ish senses because our series is called the five ish senses. Right. We've done the five senses. So now these, this is the this ish. Is, these are the ish senses. Okay. I sense a great episode. Ah. So I have that one. What's that sense called? That's called uh, a- False Hope. <laughs> An awesome osometer. We've done ophthalmoception. Okay. We've done audioception. Mm-hmm. We've done gustoception. Oh, goose downception? What? <laughs> Taste. Yeah, this pillow like is so warm soft. in the winter, yeah. Olfacoception. Okay. And we've done tactioception. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Pop quiz. Got it. In 1906, Charles Scott Sherrington published a landmark work that introduced the terms proprioception, interoception, and exteroception. Okay. What do these words mean? Propri- Pick a word. Proprioception yes. is w- the being able to tell that you are the person in charge of the store. No, that you own the store. Yes. You're yeah, right. it's a, it starts with a deed yeah. and then ends with uh, ordering people around and then doing what you say. Any guesses for interoception? Oh, that's when you question somebody and they tell you the truth. You can sense whether or and not they're, they're, they're lying. The truth. Yeah, it's the right. lie detector sense. That, that's the sense that tells you that you've been buried underground. Oh, oh. Inter- in, interoception. Inter- right, right. What about exteroception? Th- uh, that's when you th- oh, I've been dug up. <laughs> ah, yes. Sweet like freedom being from able this to tomb. S- being able to sense anything outside of you. Those are very important uh, extra-ish senses for zombies. 
You're actually right, Kevin. What? Exteroceptors are the organs responsible for information from outside the body. All right. Such as eyes, ears, mouth, and skin, which we've already done. All right. Interoceptors give information about the internal organs, such as hunger, movement of the internal organs, etc. You can sense. Yes. Your int- I, I get, I, hold on. You know when you have that bowel movement? I can't. <laughs> I can't feel any of my organs moving. Proprioception. From Latin proprius, meaning one's own or individual and perception, Mm -hmm. is the sense of the relative position of neighboring parts of the body and strength of effort being employed in movement. It is provided by proprioceptors in skeletal striated muscles and in joints. Okay. The word kinesthesia or kinesthetic sense has been used inconsistently to refer either to proprioception alone or the brain's integration of proprioception and vestibular inputs. So that's mm, being able to tell inputs. when I lift my hand over my head that without looking at it, I can tell that my hand is over my head. Is that what that means? Like, yes. That, okay. uh, the brain integrates information from proprioceptors into its overall sense of body position, movement, and acceleration. Oh. It is what allows someone to learn to walk in complete darkness without losing balance. Okay. okay. Or, or uh, you know, close your eyes, everyone at home. Okay. All right. Close your okay. eyes. Everyone in the studio, too. And put your hand out. Except in front. for Mike. Mike, keep your keep your finger on the buttons. Don't close your eyes. Put your hand out in front of you. Okay. Close right. your eyes. Uh-huh. And now touch your nose. Uh, uh, yep. you, you did it. I yeah. did it. That's, totally that's easy. That's because you have proprioceptors. Oh, okay. What about if I close my eyes and then touch somebody else's nose? Is that proprioception too? Uh, that's extra proprioception. That would be that would be like daredevil sonar senses. Like, how are you <laughs> going to find somebody else's nose? Yeah, I want that. <laughs> oh, what if you're a Siamese twin? Oh, there's a good question. Mm-hmm. Does it can conjoined twins detect the presence of all the parts of their body? Uh, we will have to get some conjoined twins in here to okay. ask them that question. Uh. In the studio with a special surprise guest, Haley Joel Osment and his, his ab- Siamese twin. And his parasitic twin. Yeah. Coming out of the back that nobody saw because it was always filmed from a certain angle. Yeah. An unconscious reaction is seen in the human proprioceptive reflex or writing reflex in the event that the body tilts in any direction, the person will cock their head back to level the eyes against the horizon. Right? Okay. Without the appropriate integration of proprioceptive input, an artist would not be able to brush paint onto a canvas without looking at the hand as it moved the brush over the canvas, for example. Oh, right. And uh, typing without looking at the keyboard. It would be difficult to drive an automobile because a motorist would have trouble steering or using the pedals while looking at the road. Yeah, like doing anything where you don't actually have to watch your th- your, yeah. your body and force it to do the thing you want it to do and people would not even be able to walk without watching where they put their feet this is the case for a british chap named ian waterman who was featured on the radio lab episode where am i uh-huh. uh, he can't walk unless he looks at his legs he can only drive in a specially modified car with no foot pedals so he's got everything up on the dashboard okay he can't move in the dark he hasn't turned off the lights uh, for decades and this is because he has no proprioception for below his waist? Uh, for any part of his body, I believe. Okay. He lost it due to some neuropathy of some kind. Oh, yeah. He caught a virus that destroyed half of his nervous system. A virus. Watch out for that one. Uh. Temporary loss or impairment of proprioception may happen periodically during growth. For example, during adolescence or from large increases or drops in body weight due to fluctuation of fat. Oh, is this like uh, in the animal kingdom when you have those baby deer who like can't get their legs underneath them and they look kind of cute slipping and sliding on some ice or whatnot? <laughs> yes, maybe. Uh-huh. And or muscle content. So if your body changes dramatically, you may your proprioception will be fucked up for right. a while. Yeah, because uh, you put uh, you lost a bunch of weight and so you're like you kind of feel like you're still kind of fat. Your proprioception is maybe like, oh, I should my arms should be six inches wider than they are now. This is why the Incredible Hulk is so unrealistic. 
Oh, because every time he, he changed into a huge thing, and he'd be like, "I don't know how to handle this big body." Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's why he's so mad all the time. Oh, or or maybe the Hulk has the proprioception, and uh, Bruce and Banner Bruce Banner's a total is like, klutz. Yeah, is completely off kilter because he thinks he's nine feet tall. Proprioception is occasionally impaired spontaneously, especially when one is tired. Mm-hmm. One's body may appear too large or too small, or parts of the body may appear distorted in size. Similar effects can sometimes occur during epilepsy or migraine auras. So this is how you get clumsy when you start like reaching for things and missing them and knocking them over and whatnot. Uh, maybe, maybe yeah. it's some kind of a combo of that. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if there's any kind of uh, drugs that could turn this off or manipulate this feeling. Oh, of of being off kilter of the proprioception, so that you could so that you could experience what that guy who doesn't have it uh, experiences, like by just temporarily going, "Whoa, I can't oh, sense my monkeying body. with your like nervous system." Yeah. Seems a little bit sketchy for me. I don't. Know why the you know, the pharmaceutical industry would necessarily go into spending millions of dollars? I don't on think I said. I wonder if there's a safe way to do this. Oh, okay. <laughs> there was a case of a young woman who lost her proprioception due to a viral infection of her spinal cord. Okay. At first, she could not move properly at all, or even control her tone of voice, as voice modulation is primarily proprioceptive. Oh, mm. this is from uh, the first Austin Powers movie, where he cannot regulate the volume of his voice. Because of the uh, side effect of the freezing process. Oh, that, I don't, I don't remember right. that, but I believe you. I believe you. Later, she relearned by using her sight, i.e., watching her feet and inner ear only for movement, while using hearing to judge voice modulation. What if you rigged up like a contraption, like basically make your head right. like the inside of a convenience store where they have all those mirrors, mirrors right. up in the corners, so you could see every part mm, of the store. That's a good question. So put like an array of mirrors that reflect your feet. So you can see your own buttocks. So you can see your feet and, and your, your own butt ass. And I just want to do that. I don't have proprioception loss, but I want to do that. You want to see your own butt at so all times? So I can times? watch myself go poo. Oh, no. <laughs> this is this is using using a great idea for, for evil. No, for evil. <laughs> I don't want to watch someone else poo. That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> when Torn does it, it's natural. That's part right. Of the it's like how my fart smell great. But wait a second. Like, this is assuming, so you don't have any proprioception in your sphincter? Is, it, is this what you're, you're confessing to? I can't tell if I'm pooing right now or not. <laughs> Torrance sits down, waits a bit, Except and I have an excellent sense goes, of smell. oh, I guess I pooped. <laughs> Everyone poops, Torrance. Everyone poops. Just most people know it when it's happening. She eventually acquired a stiff and slow movement and nearly normal speech, which was believed, which is believed to be the best possible in the absence of this sense. She could not judge effort involved in picking up objects and would grip them painfully to be sure she did not drop them. Oh, it's a, Do not do with fragile glass. Yes, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. So she would grip them until she felt pain. So that's the only way that she knew that it wasn't so loosely held that it would fall right. out of her grip. That Oh, this is horrifying. Yeah. Proprioception is important. You love it. It is definitely something I take for granted. I'm now becoming hyper aware of the things that I've never been aware of, mm-hmm. but unconsciously have been aware of. I'm aware of it in this moment, but five seconds after we stop recording this, I will forget it again. You will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about some interoceptors. Interoceptor. Transform. That's the name of uh, Mad Max's car in uh, right. in, the, in yes. the first Mad Max. Well, it's the transforming Mad Max car. <laughs> That is a mashup that I would like to see. Yeah. Mad Max versus Transformers. Or Mad Max and Transformers. Yeah, yeah. A boy and his robot. 
taking like, a uh, just he's he's got the last tra- <laughs> the last sentient transforming car. No, you'd be the best part is like Mad Max. You know how he always like runs over guys and whatnot. He's got the Autobot and he's like you know turning people into grease stains and like you know hitting people having to explode like watermelons. And the Autobots are just like, oh no, oh Max, oh please stop, <laughs> stop driving me oh, over, God, kill stop, all these people. Max. Well, not the not the not the Transformers from the new the Michael Bay Transformers movies where they like execute helpless Decepticons constantly. <laughs> yeah, but those are Decepticons, not people. I don't know. Decepticons I, don't value life like Autobots do. I, <laughs> in the movies, the Autobots don't seem to either. Like Optimus Prime is a horrible, terrible murderer. murderer. Yes, he totally is. Don't get me started on how much I hate. I those just watched the new movies. one, and he uh, he has a line that says, "I know I promised not to harm any humans." But when I find the people responsible for this, they're going to die. Yeah. Oh, you're such a good... I know I said I was a good guy, but I'm going to do bad stuff. I kind of quit watching those movies, but I remember in the second one, the opening scene is literally two Decepticons who have done nothing wrong. Like, they didn't show their villainy at all. Like, it's just they're Decepticons. And the military and Optimus Prime are hunting them down in the middle of a city. And all they do is run away. They don't take prisoners. They don't randomly kill people to try and to save themselves. They just try to get away. Optimus beats one of them, has him defenseless on the ground. His gun is kicked away. And he shoots him in the face as he begs for mercy. It's a race war. Fuck. The Transformers movies. Okay, we're done. Let's move on. I'm sorry. Back to Interocept. What, what, yeah. would, what would Mad Max's Transformer turn into? Uh, oh, that's, that's um, hmm. <laughs> a gallon of gasoline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you can fill up this other that's car. That's right. A, a pump. A pump. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Ding. That's why he's got the one car that can work. It can yeah. fill him, fill itself up. up. Wait yeah. a minute. Why are we asking this question? He turns into a robot. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> you dummy. <laughs> I lost the plot there for a second. <laughs> this is what happens when you talk about stupid Transformers my, movies. My you get stupid yourself. My proprioception was put off kilter by Joe's rant. Right. I like completely lost my balance. Oh, Michael Bay, you will pay. <laughs> Interoceptors. Yeah. Pulmonary stretch receptors control the respiratory rate in the lungs. That's okay. one interoceptor. Mm-hmm. Peripheral chemoreceptors in the brain monitor their carbon dioxide and oxygen levels in the brain to give a feeling of suffocation if carbon dioxide levels get too high. Okay. Oh. Hold on. <gasps> see how long that takes. This is a good pod. We're checking the. This we're checking really Joe's interoceptors. Uh, you know, I'm going to help Joe. I'm going to like put my hands around his <laughs> neck and just like really crawling. restrict. You know, uh, oxygen. Can you input. feel that? Can you feel that now? <laughs> the chemoreceptor trigger zone is an area in the medulla in the brain that, among other things, acts as a vomit-inducing center. I oh. For good reasons. I was just going to say, can we turn that off? I don't like vomiting. You don't but I want guess, to vomit? I guess if I have uh, horrible things inside me to get out, I, I like vomiting. Yeah, it detects toxins in the blood. Chemoreceptors in the circulatory system measure salt levels and prompt thirst. That's an interoceptor. Oh, okay. Oh. Why doesn't it prompt me to stop eating salty things? <laughs> Because, man, so, I never want to stop. If you had, like, the, to keep drinking water. Those particularly interoceptors were super strong. You, like, reach for a chip and your hand just stops moving. You're like, what <laughs> the? Interoceptors. Interoceptor, I hate you. Stretch receptors in the gastrointestinal tract sense gas distension that may result in colic pain. Yeah. Oh, for there. babies. <laughs> for babies. Mm, babies get colic. Baby sensor. Mm-hmm. 
sensory receptors in pharynx mucosa. Mm. That's gross throat slime. Uh-huh. Similar to touch receptors in the skin, <laughs> sense foreign objects such as food that may result in a gag reflex. Yeah, and so you don't choke to death. Yeah. yeah. And sensory receptors in the urinary bladder and rectum may result in sensations of fullness. Oh, there you go. That makes sense. My rectum's full. <laughs> your rectum senses if you're full? Yep. Of? If your rectum is full. Of? Yeah. Poo. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, Time to uh, get rid of that poo. Uh, uh, Thank you, Interoceptor, for not letting it just build up down there. Wouldn't yeah. want to have any uh, any uh, feculent emesis because of that. Exactly. Uh-huh. If you didn't sense when you were full of when poo, when you had to go poo, it would yeah. just be messy. It would, all yeah, because yeah, you just you know it would just always be as soon as something came in, it would push the little part out. You know, of the exact same size of new poo coming in, would just like squeeze the old poo out. Really? That would be an un- well if you didn't have that interoceptor. <laughs> Is that right? how it works, doctor? No, if you didn't have that interoceptor and you didn't know when it was time to poo, but rely on the actual, we'll call it the toothpaste method. I, yeah, I think it would build up so much pressure that it eventually just start squirting out, right? Yeah. Totally. yeah. Because you don't have a Either physical... that or it would squirt out through your body. If you... you're like always clenching your butthole because I, uh, well, I have my default, pants on. Right? Well, or you just assign a time of the day. Well, I... I, I, have, I, I know I have to, to poo at some point. I, I might as well try now. Well, that's what I do in the morning. <laughs> Sometimes I, in the morning you're like, I don't know. And then you sit down. You, oh, yeah. yeah I, I wish my butthole was that strong that it could like back it up. Do you need some mirrors? No, so I do not. A sequence of mirrors? No, I have, I have my interoceptors. <laughs> he doesn't are in need control. mirrors. He's got video cameras. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Close circuit camera uh-huh. in the turlet. I don't even think I make my money. <laughs> Kevin'sButt.com. This, this podcast. <laughs> Live action. Podcasting oh, hasn't made us any money yet. There's the don't. one where you can watch the eagles in the bird's nest. Don't. And then there's the live feed from Kevin's wait, Butt. Wait, Kevin'sButt.com is in eagles' nests as no, well as no. my butt? <laughs> yes, it's I mean, yes. Yes, and. Yeah. Well, after you ate those eagles. Why do you have oh, eagles you in your eagles butt? Eggs? All right, let's talk about equilibrioception. Okay. This is kind of a combo. This uses proprioception, vision, and the inner ear. This mm. allows you to detect half-decent sci-fi movies starring Batman. Don't even say half-decent. Mm-hmm. How dare you? This is the sense of balance, obviously. Uh-huh. Uh, when the sense of balance is interrupted, it causes dizziness, disorientation, and nausea. Mm-hmm. Balance can be upset by Meniere's disease. That's French. Uh-huh. I would pronounce that Meniere. Okay. If I was me. Right. Uh, also called endolymphatic high drops. A high drop sounds like something you fall from something high up. <laughs> a high drop? Yeah. yeah. You don't want that. No. You certainly not, no, certainly yeah, not on your if, endolymphatics. If, if your equilibrioception is totally off, you're definitely going to high drop. Gonna, there may be a high drop. Yeah, just don't go on yeah. a roof anywhere to avoid your high drops. Could be interrupted from an inner ear infection. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Or even a, the common cold affecting the head. Right, because it's all jammed up one. in there. Because yep. definitely inner ear is a critical part of the equation of your equilibrioception. In your sinuses. Mm-hmm. Equilibrioception can also be temporarily disturbed by a quick or prolonged acceleration. For example, riding on a merry-go-round. Okay, yeah, you do the old spinneroo. See also vertigo. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Blows can also affect equilibrioception, uh, especially those to the side of the head or directly to the ear. Of course. Most astronauts find that their sense of balance is impaired when in orbit because they are in a constant state of weightlessness. This causes a form of motion sickness called space adaptation syndrome or space sickness, which we call call back to our uh, space hazards episode. Space hazards, yes. Plants could be uh, said to exhibit a form of equilibrioception in that when rotated from their normal attitude, the stems grow in the direction that is upward, away from gravity, Mm -hmm. while their Uh roots grow downward in the direction of gravity. 
Uh, this phenomenon is known as gravitropism. So if mm. you turn a plant upside down, everything will start growing in the opposite direction. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you, would do, you would do this in uh, elementary school, I remember. It has been shown that, for instance, poplar stems can detect reorientation and inclination. Yeah, well, of course, because like, you're always just reaching for the sun, right? Oh, they're always reaching for the stars, uh, those plants. No, they don't give a shit about the stars. They're reaching <laughs> for the sun. The sun's a star. Oh, damn it. Gotcha. It's a super close star. Yep. Yeah, curses. Next on the list, we have thermoreception. The details of how temperature receptors work are still being investigated. Ciliopathy. <laughs> That's Kevin's got that. <laughs> I got that in spades. Or ciliopathy, possibly. Actually, ciliopathy is the death of silliness, so I don't have that at all. Oh, no, you've got, you've got silly... Uh, silly cilia? I don't know. <laughs> Cilophilia? Cilophilia, sure. Let's do that. <laughs> is associated with decreased ability to sense heat, thus cilia, which are slender protuberances that project from cells, may aid in the process of thermoreception. Okay. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Still under investigation. Science is not yet caught up with uh, with this with this podcast. Catch up, science! Come on, yeah, get on it. Pit vipers, Ooh. which is a snake. Oh, I thought that was another kind of sense. Have a heat sensitive organ between the eyes and the nostrils. This organ has a membrane containing seven thousand nerve endings that respond to temperature changes as small as zero point zero zero two degrees centigrade. That's that's very that's very minor. It's a slight change. Why do they, why do they need to know change. that? Uh, a rattlesnake can detect a mouse 40 centimeters away if ah. the mouse is 10 degrees centigrade above the outside temperature. Okay. Wow. So targeting sense. Wow. Yep. Right, right. Zeroing in. What do you call a uh, snake with arms? <laughs> a salamander. A pit viper. God. Bats can detect warmth of an animal for about 16 centimeters away using their nose leaf. They have thermoreceptors in their nose. Nose okay. leaf? Yeah, their nose leaf. Why is it called a nose leaf? Because it kind of looks like it's a, kind of shaped, a leafy like shape. A leaf. yeah. yeah. Okay. Nose leaf. Yeah, yeah. You wish you jealous? I, so, you so you have a yeah. nose pyramid? Maybe. I detect most things with my uh, face handsome. <laughs> face. <laughs> yes. Handsome. Yeah. I, I see with it. I That's smell true. with it. I taste with it with my face handsome. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Jewel beetles. Ooh, they sound valuable. Well, yes, collect them all. <laughs> While the average human can see fire for hundreds, if not thousands of feet, and can possibly smell it for hundreds, jewel beetles can sense a pine fire tens of miles away. Oh, so that they, they're not in a tree that is going to be burned down shortly. They, like, make a run for it. No, opposite. They run to Stand a fire? Stand by. Uh, not only do they have a sense of smell that could rival these silver-tip grizzlies, as we talked about in the smell episode, mm-hmm. they also have infrared sensors embedded in their chests. Wow, oh. they're like Iron Man. These are like Iron Man beetles. These have developed from common hair mechanoreceptors. We all know that. Why? Why, you ask, Kevin? I was. I, my guess was going to be so they could get away from a forest fire no. and and like like flee like rats from a sinking ship. Opposite to mate and lay eggs in burned pine trees. Huh. Oh, so they start making their way towards a fire, so when it, by the time they get there, it is burnt out, and then they lay their eggs in the charred remains of a forest. The beetles, also called black fire beetles, actually flock to forest fires to reproduce. It's actually safer for them, and the beetles and their offspring. Most anything that would want to eat the beetles would either flee or be killed by the fire. Oh. Also, since the beetles lay their eggs in already dead trees, the trees can't mount their defenses. Mm-hmm. No tree defenses. Name, give me a tree defense. When a tree is cut down and turned into a fence. <laughs> right? White picket style. Yeah. I know that the ants threw boulders at Isengard. <laughs> yes, all those things. So there's boulder throwing. Uh-huh. Sap, you fools. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, I oh. guess yeah, definitely a forest fire will consume all that sap. There is a case from 1924 in which a swarm of beetles traveled over 50 miles from the forest to an oil fire in the desert. Oh, that's a big mistake wow. on their part. Yeah, there's no trees there. There's no trees guys. there. Oh, that was a big they get to the middle of the desert like wah, wah. I was all, I've got I've traveled 50 miles all horny. <laughs> now I got the blue balls. Oh. Well, at least there's lots of lube there for them once the fire's out. Oh, True the enough. oil. They do have a tendency to bite when threatened, and fires cause them to aggregate to swarms of biting beetles in recently burned areas. So, more than one reason to avoid a forest fire yeah. is because of the angry beetles. Oh, the yeah. angry, horny beetles. Wow, that is crazy. How big are they? Small, scientifically speaking. Ooh, they're pretty, though. Uh, you know, they're the, the size about of uh, inch, your pinky finger. About an inch long, yeah. yeah. Electroreception. This is uh, detecting Spider-Man villains. This is the biological ability to perceive natural electrical stimuli. It has been observed almost exclusively in aquatic or amphibious animals since water is a much better conductor than air. Oh, so mm-hmm. this is uh, like sharks being able to detect uh, fish and whatnot. Correct, Mundo. Uh, a salmon using it to migrate right exactly to the back to the point where they were born. I don't know if that has anything to do with electricity. It's because I'm going to do something. It's got, it does have it does something to do with something. Have something you are there. To do with something. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Caustic soda. We got something to do with something. Uh, notable exceptions of the aquatic or amphibious animals are the echidnas, cockroaches, and bees. Oh. They have electroreception. Huh, good times. Uh, as you mentioned, the shark has specialized electrosensing receptors. Uh, these receptors may be used to locate prey. The dogfish can detect a flounder that is buried under the sand by this method. Electroreception. Got it. Okay. The platypus. Uh, yeah. Has electroreceptors in its bill that can detect 0.05 microvolts. Well, then remember, we also talked in the uh, the touch platypus that their venom can cause that disorder of the skin where you don't feel pain anymore. Right. They got it all, those platypi. Yeah, they're now in two out of our six senses episodes. <laughs> they're, they're crossing the bridge. <laughs> Moving on to magneto recept- magnetoception. Okay. Not or, making the joke. This, don't do it. magnetoception. As it was first referred to in 1972. But then they took the re out. Now well, it's just magnetoception. Yeah, the detection of X-Men villains. A sense which allows an organism to detect a magnetic field to perceive direction, attitude, or location. The sense has been proposed to explain animal navigation. Oh, this is the this has got to be the salmon one. The in salmon swimming vertebrates upstream. and insects. And as a method for animals to develop regional maps. Yeah, it's got to well be. It's got to be the salmon. One. It's if it isn't, it's got something to do with something. It's got yeah. something to do with something. Yeah. Uh, again, with the bee, worker honeybees have a ring of iron oxide or magnetite mm. uh, in their abdomens. You know, okay. when you're young, when you're young, you get to keep your magnetite. But when you get a little older, it's yeah. kind of magna loose. The ring of iron oxide in the bee's abdomen uh, is used to detect magnetic fields. They may use this ability to detect changes in the earth magnetic in the Earth's magnetic field and use it for navigation. Good times. Pigeon. The common pigeon probably use tiny magnetic particles in their beaks to sense our planet's magnetic field. They use their ability to create a map of this field and then use it to navigate back to their home loft. Scientists from the University of Auckland, New Zealand, placed homing pigeons in a wooden tunnel with one feeder platform at each end of the tunnel. Attached to the outside of this tunnel were magnetic coils. Okay. The pigeons were trained to go to one feeder if the magnetic coils were switched off and to the other if the coils were switched on. Okay. Okay. Right? The scientists then carried out tests designed to impair their ability to detect a magnetic field. Okay. Firstly, they attached magnets to the bird's beaks. Sounds like fun. All right. Their ability to discriminate when the magnetic coils were switched on or off was drastically impaired. 
Secondly, when the team anesthetized the upper beak area of the pigeons. Oh, so like put Novocaine in their beak. Yeah, a similar drop was seen in the ability to detect the magnetic anomaly generated. Certainly when it happens to me, I like I dribble my drink all over my shirt. So it's kind of the same thing. Okay. Yeah. And it impairs my ability to uh, to navigate from your mouth to to, the drink. Well, to navigate social situations or looking like a slob. (laughs) Right. right? Okay. sure. And finally, the researchers cut the pigeons trigeminal nerve, a large nerve carrying optical and other signals to the brain and found that their magnetic sense was again impaired. However, this did not occur if the researchers cut the olfactory nerve, which conveys smell signals to the brain, contradicting the theory, the previous theory that they navigate using smell. This whole setup of the wooden box with the thing at one end and the magnets and all that stuff just sounds like a setup for the Pigeon Man origin. Pigeon Man. Like somebody's going to fall into this and the magnets and the pigeons and the sensing's all going to, he's going to get pigeon powers. I thought, I thought. And he never gets lost. That's his pigeon power. That's it. Starts to work for Google Maps. Doesn't grow wings, can't fly, but he can tell which way is north all the time. I thought that was, I thought Pigeon Man was when he was sitting in a study trying to think of what kind of costume to make for his vigilante and a pigeon flies through the window. Oh, yes. All I know is that his headquarters is at the top of a statue. (laughs) Covered in poo. Covered in poo. Taken together, these results are consistent with the theory that homing pigeons detect magnetic fields using particles located in their upper beaks. The existence of these magnetic particles in their birds' beaks has been known since the 1970s. Hmm. Now it's time for Shitty Jobs. Shitty Jobs. Shitty Jobs. Several mammalian species spontaneously align their body axis with respect to the Earth's magnetic field lines in diverse behavioral contexts. This is a study that comes from Frontiers in Zoology. Okay. Mm-hmm. Magnetic alignment is a suitable paradigm to scan for the occurrence of magnetosensitivity across animal types with the potential to contribute to the understanding of the mechanism of magnetoception. Okay. Mm-hmm. With this in mind, we, the scientists, wow. searched for signs of magnetic alignment in dogs. 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 Okay. All right. We measured the direction of the body axis in 70 dogs of 37 breeds during defecation. Okay. Okay. That's pooing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, there I'm, were I'm one. Just, I can't figure out where this is going. There were one thousand eight hundred ninety-three observations of dogs pooing. Okay, that's a lot. And urination, five thousand five hundred eighty-two observations. Okay. They pee more. A, they pee more than they poo. That's o- what we've learned about dogs over a two-year period. Okay. Okay. After complete sampling, <laughs> we sorted the data according to the geomagnetic conditions prevailing during the sampling periods. Okay. Results. Uh huh. <sighs> Dogs. I, I'm on pins and needles. Dogs. I'm on poops and pins. Are you on tenterhooks? I'm on I'm on defecation and urination. Dogs preferred to excrete with the body being aligned along the north-south axis under calm magnetic field conditions. Uh-huh. This directional behavior was abolished under unstable magnetic fields. Who came up with the idea <laughs> for this study? They're basically dogs face north or south when the magnetic field is not disturbed. When they're pooing. When they're pooing, yeah, and then and then they face any direction, say. any direction at all when it's an unstable seems to be magnetic. <laughs> I, I mean, what's, honestly, what's I respect a... scientists as a general rule. Sure, I have respect for the scientific community. Do you? I do. <laughs> right? Not much, but some more than I have respect for you two, for instance. Yeah, that's fair. I'm made up of science. What but, are you talking about? But when people, when you hear about a study like this, you just yeah. imagine that there's a group of scientists sitting on a table smoking weed. Well, I like watching dogs poo. <laughs> yeah. How can I get a grant for that? Yeah. I want to watch dogs poo and pee for the next two years. How can I get paid at the same time? But I only want to watch it 1,893 times. 
I feel like that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel in two years, that's actually quite a bit. Like, because there's 5,000 urinations in there. So you're talking about like 7,000 plus total observations in two years. That's 20 observations or 10 observations a day for two years. That's, that's not even writing the report yet. That's right. Don't oh, dog dog owners probably do that yeah, without having this. to write the report. This sounds, This is not something I want to do. How many times do you watch your dog go poo a day, uh, Joe? Well, most of the time I just let him out the back. Oh, uh, but if we're, ta- if we're taking a walk, then I have to watch him because i got to clean up after him. Yeah, yeah this, this, uh, this is a questionable study to me. Is this guy a dog lover or is he a dog lover? <laughs> <laughs> the best predictor of the behavioral switch was the polar orientation of the magnetic field. Conclusions. Mm-hmm. It is for the first time that a magnetic sensitivity was proved in dogs. Okay. They have magnetic sensitivity for, well, for starters. Okay. okay. What, what environment are they in when they're pooping? Like, are they outside? Can they see which way the sun is? Are they just looking at the sun while they poop and that means they're facing south? Are they doing this in a lab? I don't understand what they mean. And it almost feels like they're discounting the uh, results that didn't agree with what they were saying because they were like, oh, well, that's when the magnetic fields were in, in disarray. Flux. Yeah. Like, what does that even mean? Like, I, I, I'm not saying this is wrong. I got questions about this study. We need to get a geologist or geomagnetologist. Or I would just like to hear some more details of the study. I know that the intensity and structure of the Earth's magnetic field are always changing, slowly yeah. but erratically, yeah. Yeah. reflecting the influence of the flow of the thermal currents within the iron core. Right. I know that much. Yeah. I know that this variation is reflected in part by wandering of the north and south geomagnetic poles, okay. and that the solar wind also distorts Earth's magnetic fields. Sure. Right. There right. are all sorts of reasons for you to discount the studies that go against what you think is going to happen. Mm-hmm. B, a measurable, predictable behavioral reaction upon natural magnetic field fluctuations could be unambiguously proven in a mammal. Okay. Unambiguously. uh, They seem to think it's not ambiguous. Look, here's the thing. It's possible that this is unambiguous and this was run really well. I just don't. I need to know the details because it sounds fishy. My problem isn't with... doggy. (laughs) My problem isn't with the results of the study itself. It's why do this study at all? Because it would be it would be super interesting to be able to prove that mammals can detect because now north and south. If, if you may not be blind and need a seeing eye dog, but if you have if you're <laughs> magneto and you lose your magnetic powers, now you can have a seeing magnetoception dog. No, I mean know, a magnetoception eye dog. No, you know actually, I just came up with a practical application for this. Okay, for this knowledge. If you have my full attention, your plane crashes. And you and your yep. dog are the only survivors, right. and you don't know which direction you you need to walk Cause, out. Cause you can use them as a compass. When just watch no poop. sun. Yeah, <laughs> just watch them poop. There's no moss growing on the trees. Well, what? No, there's been a nuclear war, so That's it's right. a nuclear winter. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you want to go south. Yeah. Or in the plane crash, you hurt your neck, so you can't look up. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever. Can't possibly Just watch the dog poop. You've had the part of your brain damaged that lets you sense which direction shadows are falling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just uh, just watch your dog it's poop. Just handy to have a backup. Yeah. For all the other reasons you might want to have a dog, now there's one more. Yeah, because, oh, except, because except for the fact that if the magnetic uh, uh, field the, is in it, disarray, it then nothing. he isn't pooping north south. That's right. And then now you're doomed. And well, everybody's got the, their handy dandy you know magnetic field detector. We all know. We all look at our our watches and know whether the magnetic or magnetic field is in disarray or not. So then combine that with your dog pooping, instantly no north and south at all times. C C. 
high sensitivity to small changes in polarity rather than in- intensity of magnetic field was identified as biologically meaningful. Okay. Our findings open new horizons in magnetoreception research, Kevin. Since the magnetic field is common only about 20% of the daylight period, our findings might prove an explanation why many magnetoception experiments were hardly replicable and why directional values of records in diverse observations are frequently compromised by scatter. Not scat. <laughs> scatter. <laughs> there was scat involved in this study, but... Uh... Yeah, well, uh, how, like, how did they even come up with the idea that, you know what, maybe dogs poop in a certain direction, like they, they align themselves one way based on the magnetic field. It's the origins of this study that I'm far more interested in than the study itself. <laughs> I want to get this yes. guy in the room. Oh, it's surprise guest here with this scientist who's responsible for this study. Why did you do it? I <laughs> uh, needed to work on my doctoral thesis, and I needed something nobody else had done before. And uh, I had a dog. I love my dog. I gotta, Old Northy Southy. <laughs> I got to pick up my dog's poop anyway. Might as well get a grant out of it. <laughs> I received an email from our listener, Nathan R., Okay. He uh, wrote a bunch of stuff down about uh, his magneto reception, so to speak. Oh, yeah. uh, what, are, what are his bona fides? Is he a pirate? He asked me to, to quote him in the voice of uh, Sir Ian McKellen Magneto. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <clears throat> we are the future, Charles, not them. Just getting in character there. Yeah. I have tiny magnets implanted in my ring fingers, which respond to magnetic and electromagnetic fields. Hmm. Essentially giving me the extended sense of touch or sixth sense. I learned of this type of implants from a Wired magazine article and received my own a few years later. They are three millimeter diameter, one millimeter thick magnetic discs coated in perylene, a biological material used in medical implants. With the implants, I can feel the strength and direction of the field produced by a permanent magnet and pick up small paper clips. Those, you could useful. never. I I I have dreamed of being able to pick up small paper, paper clips. clips. Yeah. But the real fun are electromagnetic fields. The implants allow me to feel, among other things, AC current flowing through an electrical cable or equipment, hmm. light switch, breaker panel, etc. Power supplies inside appliances. Uh-huh. Transformers, not the toys, <laughs> unless there's metal in them. <laughs> Electric motors. Spark plug wires and ignition coils in engines. Theft tag deactivators at cash registers. Oh. Mm. I also have the opportunity to feel high-power industrial equipment, as if I am an electrical engineer by trade. Oh, as I am an electrical engineer by trade, not as if I am. (laughs) I am. I have a cool x-ray picture of my finger. Let's take a look at this x-ray picture. So we'll obviously finger. put this up on the website, causticsodapodcast.com, if anybody wants to go check this out. Oh, yeah, there's the tips of his fingers yeah. with little mm-hmm. magnetic discs in them. Now, does he talk about what it feels like? Are we getting to... The sensation I get from a permanent magnet can range from a slight tug or pearl under the skin to a painful twisting or pinching. This doesn't... I, why would... I don't want this. As my magnet is repelled by or attracted to the other magnet. The sensation of an electromagnetic field ranges from faint vibration for weak fields to a distressing, strong, almost electric shock for intense fields. Additionally, different electromagnetic fields seem to have varying textures. 
quotes, oh, quotes, okay. uh, quotes around that. Uh-huh. And patterns. The field that comes from my alarm clock feels like a fuzzy ring floating in the air. Fuzzy ring. Oh, fuzzy ring. Fuzzy oh, ring. Yeah. While the feel from my car's ignition coil is a sharp, rhythmic tapping. I wanted to get the implants because I was extremely appealing to extend my sensory perception to places beyond human. I equate it to being able to see infrared or ultraviolet. It's pretty awesome to feel something that can't be filmed or easily measured. And the brain makes a picture of the field just as if you were feeling a sculpture while blindfolded. Right. So these magnetic implants basically transfer the magnetic field that he feels into uh, a touch that his brain is then figuring out how to build maps of. Yeah, Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Here's some caustic things he points out. Okay. Okay. I would guess, yeah. Mm -hmm. Since magnetic implants are a body modification rather than a medical implant, the procedure was done without anesthetic. Oh. (laughs) Okay. And Uh. consisted of an incision creating of a pocket with Uh a blunt instrument, insertion of the magnet, and then stitches. It was painful and bloody. I will pass. That alone would make me not want to do this. It would have to be, I would have to be able to walk up the sides of skyscrapers like Spider-Man <laughs> yes. in order for this to be worth it in my mind. Right? I would have to be able to, you know, pull things out of the sky with my fingers. I would basically have to become Magneto yeah. in order for this to be considered And you would worth wear a it. big red cape. Magenta oh, and the helmet, for sure. You, know, you just, have those ready on standby yeah. right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Several people with similar implants have experienced a failure in the outer coating, causing the magnet to break apart and be partially absorbed by the body. Yeah. Requiring surgery to remove it. Yeah. So, well, at least that part becomes a medical emergency, so it is a medical procedure. Probably get, you got <laughs> yeah, an anesthesia yeah, yeah, that yeah. time. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Silver lining. Yeah. I have an innate fear... silver lining, just like the inside of your fingers once that magnet breaks down. I have an innate fear of MRI machines and super magnets. I'm pretty sure that my fingertips would violently explode or the magnets would be pulled through the inside of my arm like a bullet if I got too close. Or maybe I would tumble around the inside of an MRI like a cat at a dryer. Yeah, I'm imagining him being like held up with his held up by the magnets in his fingers by an electromagnetic field, like a guy strapped to a post, uh-huh. like just can't get away from the fact that his fingers are held in a magnetic See, field. I have less questions about uh, who's the first one to come up with this idea and employ it than the study about the pooping dogs. The pooping dogs, because this one, it's I, I mean. I can just imagine somebody was sitting there in yeah. their office and their their paperclip was like just out of reach. I wish I and they had thought, magnets in my finger. Oh, if I just had a I magnet could, I in my finger, over. I could just like totally Jedi mind trick that thing. <laughs> like that that seems logical to me, right? The, I, the motivation behind this does does or maybe that speaks maybe that says more about me than about these people.
Now the segment everyone's been asking for. Oh yeah, synesthesia. Oh okay, and what uh, what is this? This comes the word comes from ancient Greek syn meaning together and aesthesia meaning sensation. That's a, how I like to do my sinning mm-hmm. together. together. Yep, yep. Uh, sinning with a Y. A neurological oh. phenomenon in which stimulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway leads to automatic involuntary experiences in a second sensory or cognitive pathway. So you, so when you put something on your tongue and taste something, it makes your fingers tingle. Mm, maybe. Okay. Possibly. Th- that okay. would be a thing, but we don't know if that happens. Mm. Uh, people who report such experiences are known as synesthetes. Okay. Okay. According to one source I found, one in 200 people have some form of synesthesia. Another oh. source I found says one in 23. Okay. One in 23 is a lot less than one in 200. It's true. A lot more, actually, but yeah. Most synesthetes are born that way. Synesthesia may fade or intensify as a person ages, especially during teenage years. Okay. When synesthesia is reported by individuals who don't normally experience it or inherit it genetically, mm-hmm. This can be an indicator of brain damage, the onset of or after effects of a stroke or seizure. Oh. And if applicable, as a result of the brain healing after the removal of tissue such as a brain tumor. Okay. okay. Right, so right. when your brain gets kind of healed up, up, it crosses some weird pathways. Yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. That makes sense. Psychological research has demonstrated that synesthetic experiences can have measurable behavioral, behavioral consequences, and we'll talk more about that shortly mm-hmm. uh, and functioning functional neuroimaging studies have identified differences in patterns of brain activation okay right so stereotypes have been perpetuated by the internet and the media that synesthetes are inherently creative or artistic mm-hmm. however richard sidowick a leading researcher on synesthesia has disproven this citing that the estimated percentage of synesthetes in the u.s population and is proportional to the percentage of synesthetes who are professional artists Okay. Oh, okay. So one common form of synesthesia, known as grapheme to color synesthesia or color graphemic synesthesia, mm-hmm. letters or numbers are perceived as inherently colored. Okay. Okay. So we have a visual aid as to what this might mean. So okay. we'll put this up on CosmicSodaPodcast.com. There is a square. It's full of fives and twos. On the left-hand side, there are the, everything is black. Everything is one color. Yeah. Yep, black and white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so for a non-synesthete, you would have to try to look at each individual letter yeah. 
to you, find the ones that have been reversed to, to, yeah. to differentiate the fives between the twos. There's only a few twos in there. Yeah. Whereas for a synesthete, you would automatically be able to pick out the, uh, for example, if you're at the website, you can see this. You can see there's a triangle of twos in the, between the fives because all the fives are green and all the twos are red. So this would be very useful when I'm picking up a jumble of fives and twos. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That is correct. So that's grapheme to color synesthesia. Okay. Yeah. Ordinal Linguistic Personification, or OLP synesthesia, Uh is a form of synesthesia in which ordered sequences such as days, months, and letters are associated with personalities. And they, uh, you know, a heck of a a rap band back in the 80s. You down with OLP? Yeah, you know me. You down with OLP? Uh Yeah, you know me. So a letter, uh, you know, a five might be a happy letter and a two might be a sad letter. No. Okay. Right? Yeah, two. Yeah, twos are sad. <laughs> oh, you agree? Well, yeah. Ones are ones are boners. One's the loneliest number. One, That's one's, true. One's, two is the saddest number because <laughs> yeah. you were wishing you had three. Let's yeah. face it. One yeah. is the loneliest number that I ever knew. Whereas one is the loneliest ombre that I ever knew. Ah, got right. it. Who's with me on that one? I'm down. In spatial sequence or number form synesthesia, numbers, months of the year, and or days of the week elicit precise locations in space. For example, 1980 might be farther away physically than 1990 in your spatial awareness. Okay. Or it may appear as a three-dimensional map, clockwise or counterclockwise. So passage of time is is perceived as distance. That's weird. Mm. Or even numbers. Okay. Just, just numbers. Whenever I think of like months of the year, I always think of it kind of the whole year calendar as almost being like a clock face. Yeah. With January up at the top, and then it rotates around to December being up at like the eleven o'clock. And okay. mm, I, I right. can't get. A, I don't think that's this exactly, but I every time I try to figure out a month, it goes into that for some reason that circular clock pattern shape. for me. There's also mirror touch synesthesia. This is a condition which causes individuals to experience the same sensations, such as touch, that another person feels. So this is when you you look at a mirror and you can't stop touching it because you just you know you want to feel what it feels like for you to touch yourself. No, if someone oh. with this condition were to observe someone touching their cheek, they would feel the same sensation on their own cheek. Oh, oh. so it's like kind of empathetic uh, physical feeling. These are the people who watch masturbation porn. I was about to say. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) watching porno is a whole different experience for those people. The first reported case of mirror touch synesthesia uh, comes from 2005. Oh, a very recent discovery. When the patient observed someone else being touched, she would experience the same touch on her body. Although she had experienced this sensation for her whole life, she did not realize that it was abnormal until reporting it to someone else. Yeah, I mean, that's Mm. the thing about things like this is when even just the way that I perceive things, I sometimes realize, you know, later on in life that, other people don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Kind of. When I was in high school, you know, and you would study for a test, mm-hmm. the sciences were always very easy because you just flip on the textbook and the tests, they always want like exactly what's in the textbook kind of just related in test format. Like they're very quantifiable, right? As opposed to an English exam or whatever. Yeah, just so facts. I would just read the textbook. Mm-hmm. And then when I was taking the test, I would see it and I go, oh, yeah, I remember that paragraph. And I would like close my eyes and I would think of the textbook. I would literally like flip the textbook open to the page and like read the page and like read that paragraph and write it like word for word as I see it in my mind. Right. You have like an eidetic memory or something. I don't know what you would call that, but it's not. I I ended up going to university in the arts and it's not particularly useful in that scenario because you're not just like repeating something that's wrote in a textbook. You're actually you have to. 
you know, kind of think about it and, uh, you know, actually use the other parts of your brain, surmise, you know, what they're going for and all the rest of that stuff. But I didn't realize till a decade later that not everyone did that, that not everyone does this, mm. that this is actually kind of odd. Uh, after realizing that her perception was abnormal, she re- realized that her first cousin, also a female, also has mirror touch synesthesia, providing some evidence for it to be passed genetically. Mm-hmm. In another case, a male patient suffered a stroke and experienced paralysis along with loss of sensation on the left side of his body. If stimuli were hidden from view, he could feel no sensation. However, when he could visualize stimuli, he would be able to feel it. So if if he didn't see something touch him, he wouldn't feel it. He had to see it touch him to feel it? I think so. An experiment was conducted on him where he watched a video of his left arm being touched and was told that it was a real-time video of his left arm being touched. Although nobody actually touched him, the patient still experienced sensations where he saw his arm being stimulated in the video. Right. Ah, okay. So his his so they like put his visual left... senses are are replacing his uh, his touch actual senses. touch senses. Yeah. So like they put his arm behind a curtain or something and said, "Hey, we're touching your arm back here." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Oh, I can totally feel it. No, I can see it because no. I see it on the video. I can totally oh, right. feel it." And the yeah. video is from before. Yeah. It has been suggested that symptoms of mirror touch synesthesia can occur in amputees. 98% of amputees report phantom sensation in their amputated limb. Right. Yeah. My yeah, arm I've heard hurts. About that. You hear that? My leg hurts. Yeah. My arm hurts. Yeah. And one of the studied treatments for phantom limb pain has involved a mirror box. In this treatment, the amputee places their good arm into a mirror box, allowing the image of the arm to reflect where the amputated arm normally would be. The optical illusion is that you have two arms now. Right. And when touch is applied to the good arm, amputees have reported corresponding sensations in their phantom limb. So they, oh, my arm hurts. Oh, you know what? All you need is a massage. So they put the mirror box up, massage the good arm, and they go, oh, the pain is gone in my phantom limb. Mm. These cases can be considered mirror touch synesthesia because a visual stimulus was able to elicit a tactile sensation. Huh? <laughs> Studies have looked further in determining whether amputees actually experience mirror touch synesthesia. Four amputees were recruited in a study and asked to observe an assistant's arm being touched at various angles. 61 out of the 64 trials experienced mirror body mirror touch sensations, and when the arm was wiggled, the sensations were enhanced. Mm. Finally, one amputee experienced a cold sensation when observing ice cubes touching the assistant's arm. Mm. Although there's evidence that mirror touch synesthesia occurs in amputees, recent data has been inconclusive. All right, so the jury's still out on that one. Right. Approximately 60 to 80% of individuals with an amputation experience phantom sensations, and the majority of the sensations are painful. Phantom sensations may also occur after the removal of body parts other than limbs, e.g. after amputation of the breast, extraction of a tooth, Mm. phantom tooth pain, Mm. or removal of an eye, phantom eye syndrome. That is the thing. The missing limb often feels shorter and may feel as if it is in a distorted and painful position. So, uh, generally speaking, do we think that synesthesia is a positive or a negative, or sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't? Like, what's the uh, what's the conclusion here? Well, I mean, there is it are... considered a disorder or is it considered a superpower? Is it a gift or is or... it a curse? Yes, that was a question I put to my friend. Yeah, who has uh, a few different forms of synesthesia. Oh, one of which is orgasm to color synesthesia. What? what? She says, generally, I see orange or red for myself and brown for my husband. He should go to a doctor then, (laughs) if that's what color his orgasms are. I haven't found that different sexual experiences mean different colors. That said, generally, I have multiple orgasms so well. The first one is almost always orange or red. Subsequent ones are different colors, and I haven't been able to detect a pattern, although purple and green show up frequently. Okay, hold on one second. So, she's having sex. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Everything is colored f- fleshy, <laughs> right? In real I, life, well, in real you know, life. I mean, the latex could be just about any color. Yeah, sure. precisely. She starts to orgasm, and what changes color? Like, does just her vision? Like, you know, when they have that saying, "Oh, I got angry, so I saw red." She is. Oh, I have, you actually see red things when you get angry. I, Kevin, no, I don't. Because but, if so you are as thin as deep. Yeah, but you know, she says, "Oh, I had an orgasm, so I saw orange." I don't think it's that they see orange. I don't think that it overwhelms what they're seeing. It's just that they have the orgasm, and attached to that feeling is that it's a color. Well, it, but it if, might. If the number, it might, you might actually see this color, and it have interfere with your vision. Really? Right. And okay. I'll get to or, that, and I'll get to or, that in a, in a or second. Or is it the actual orgasm, like when uh, you know ejaculate is, is yeah. flying around the room? Is, I see a creamy, I see a creamy white. Yeah, for some reason. Is yeah. her, Am I a cynicist? <laughs> is her husband eating lots of like blueberry, and that's why it's coming out pink? <laughs> That'd be Frankenberry. Oh yeah, sorry, Frankenberry. Blueberry would be blue. Blueberry uh-huh. would be blue. Yeah. The colors tend to be overwhelmingly bright and vibrant shades you'd actually never see in real life. Mm-hmm. I have had bright colored balls or patterned light with migraine auras before. Bright colored balls. Her husband <laughs> should get that checked out too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this might be. She might not be a cynicine. He could have what like this yeah. weird jungle disease that needs to get <laughs> taken care of. You know, like uh, this is a, this is a whole other job for Toucan Sam. No, this uh, the bright colored balls come when uh, she's having migraine auras. Oh. Okay. So not unless she's having sex while she's having a migraine as well. Which sure, why not? I don't know. Sex makes everything feel better. Uh-huh. Except for maybe when your penis has been rubbed raw. Or, or snapped in half or broken. Or yeah. vagina, as the case may be. Yeah. Or butthole, as the case may be. <laughs> or ear hole. Also, I have some weird thing where music and books have colors. If a book is gray, I can't read it. China Melville writes gray books, and I want to like him, but I can't read his stuff. Like, the, the book is colored gray? Is that what she means? Like, the pages and the lettering are gray? I think it's just a sensation that she gets. Like, doesn't matter what the book color is, doesn't matter what the pages. So she starts reading his are. words. The book color comes with reading. Oh, so she the starts book. reading it. Yeah. And then just the way that he writes his language yeah. makes it, makes the book gray. She says, I wish it could be something I could see right away so I would know it was gray. I usually get all sorts of colors while I'm reading and they are completely background noise. But when it's gray, it's oppressively gray and it is only gray. I can't describe it any better than that, really. It's like biting into a piece of fruit and finding out it's rotten. Not only do you not want to eat that fruit anymore, but you're put off eating anything for a while. It has nothing to do with whether or not I like the subject matter or the writing style. There are plenty of books I don't like that aren't gray. I, I am blown. My mind is blown by this. Uh, so, but And she doesn't know what it is that makes a book gray or not. No, she just has to start reading it, and eventually either it will be multicolored or it will become gray. Hmm. And whether or not it's a gift or a curse, she says, uh, it's definitely interesting to having having this whole thing. The gray book stuff is kind of a pain in the ass, but not anything I'm really upset about. It's fun to see the colors. I'd miss it if it stopped. Hmm. And she says, my favorite color is blue, but I hardly ever see it. And when I do, it's rarely a shade I'm partial to. Usually it's a pastel or bright blue, and I prefer an electric or ultramarine. Ultramarine. So does she see actual colors as the colors that they are, or is everything just a freaking ever-changing rainbow? Uh, I th- I don't think she has color-to-color synesthesia where she sees colors as, as different colors. Right. If that's even a thing. I don't know. Like, is there any benefit, any tangible benefit to this? Well, you well, saw the thing with the patterns, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like an extra level of sensory input that you're getting. And right. Rolling Stone writes a song about you. 
She comes in colors. But it's still this this synesthesia thing is uh, blowing my mind. I I can't entirely grasp exactly what is happening here. Now, on surprise a- guest. <laughs> The listener who uh, who who experiences synesthesia, Haley Joel Osment. Wow. Mm-hmm. The bad news: synesthetes who do not have the support of their friends and family can be left feeling alienated or even a little bit crazy. Uh, and other people can look like aliens if they're all sorts of different colors. Assuming that their perceptions of the world are invalid or invalid. Mm-hmm. Children without synesthesia will often find a synesthete's descriptions of their experiences to be strange or threatening and react through shunning or criticism. Mm, I'm ready to shun right now, but that's my natural state of being. Yeah. I shun at a drop of a hat. Cinecites who were or are ridiculed for their craziness may feel nervous and unwilling to interact socially. Mm-hmm. One common stereotype is that cinecites are bad at math. While cinecites' range in mathematical ability is uh, is just the same as non-cinecites, right. uh, individuals with certain types of synesthesia may have to view the mat- mathematical processes a little differently. Mm-hmm. For an individual with OLP synesthesia or no linguistic personification, for mm-hmm. instance, math can at times be uncomfortable. The act of adding a mean number to a nice number may cause anxiety. Oh, so like nine, you're like, oh, that's a happy number. And six is an unhappy number. Yeah. And they go, nine plus six is like, mm, no, zero. <laughs> nine plus six is zero. No, you can't add those. They, they cancel each other out. <laughs> that's right. Matt, I wonder if they're homicidal numbers. Homicidal and victim numbers, numbers, those ones go together perfectly, actually. A person with grapheme synesthesia views each number as having its own color. This person can know logically that 2 plus 3 equals 5. However, to them, this could be like saying pink plus blue equals red, which conflicts with the rules of color theory. So as long as they don't know the rules of color theory, there's no conflict. Stay ignorant. Yep. Synesthetes, stay ignorant. That's our motto here at Caustic Soda. Absolutely. Stay ignorant. In mirror touch synesthesia, a person observing someone else being touched will feel the sensation of being touched in the same area, as I said. So yeah. they could never watch Jackass. Yeah, unless but, they like that. Yeah. But again, porn takes on a whole nother level. And a curse. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> you're watching porn and then it like quickly flips to a scene that you are not in favor of whatsoever. Becomes quite uncomfortable. Don't touch me there. Oh, this is recorded. Mm-hmm. In the case of vision touch synesthesia, a visual stimulus is perceived as a particular touch, which can occur and be felt on different parts of the body. Both are normally not a problem, but upon approaching large, tall, deep, or wide objects, such as a large animal or a lake, mm-hmm. those that have vision to touch synesthesia may react badly due to how they feel about the object or how they mm-hmm. feel the object, so to speak. Okay. Um, so most vision touch synesthetes report a falling sensation, and some have even described a reaction akin to a flight, uh, a fight or flight response when they see a lake, when they see something big, because they can't mm. touch, they can't wrap their arms around it. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> the same responses have also been reported with minuscule objects. You can't hug your children oh. with nuclear arms. <laughs> what? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nuclear sized arms. Mm-hmm. This may be because vision touch synesthetes can sense or feel the scale of an object. But they can look at the moon because the moon appears to be small enough you get your hands around. Oh, yeah, maybe. But you see a lake I'm, and I'm you get... I'm pinching your face. <laughs> I'm crushing your head. <laughs> a sound-to-color synesthete could find herself overwhelmed by their perceptions when a choir is singing together, experience symptoms of sensory overload such as headaches or nausea. 
because you have all these different voices. And that was that was a sound to what? A sound to color. So oh, they so. all these different colors are coming at them at the same time. All these yeah, different it's not just coming. a it's not a joyful uh, Skittles commercial, right? It's it turns into a, a barrage, a, a bad trip, man. Yeah, yeah. It's the dark side of the rainbow connection. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, to a color to a sound to color synesthete, loud or unexpected sounds and or unexpected sounds obstruct their visual field, Joe. So the noise of a fire alarm, for example, obscures part, if not all, of their vision. This can be especially difficult when trying to exit the building during a fire. When there's a fire. As the synesthetes may bump into objects or trip on objects on the floor. Or everything looks like it's on fire because everything's now glowing red and orange. Or nothing looks like it's on fire. You just walk right into a fire. Should sound to color synesthetes be, like, allowed to drive? Yeah, exactly. All of a sudden you're like, what if your vision goes black? Ooh, all of the colors combined. Mm. Yeah, guess what? The sound of car engine running. No, that'd be white. Well, depending if you're talking about additive or subtractive okay, colors. Okay, uh-huh. That's synesthesia. I, it makes me uncomfortable knowing that these people are out there. Because they're all better than you. A little bit. A little bit. They actually have powers. <laughs> a little better, a little yeah. worse. Uh, I think I have synesthete to synesthete synesthesia. So I need to I need to hear a story about a synesthete that makes them better than me and one that makes them worse than me and I put the two of them together and then I feel right in the world again. I don't think you understand how synesthesia works, but that's I'm obvious. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. <laughs> in the news. 2014, Peter Stormare. Oh, the actor that I quite like. Who's been in Fargo. And Constantine. Big Lebowski. Who's he? We are nihilists. Oh, we believe okay. in nothing. All right. Is joining season three of Arrow huh? as Count Werner Vertigo. Oh, there you, you go. You remember Count Vertigo from the DC Comics? Nope. You don't remember Count Vertigo? <laughs> no, he was a Green Arrow villain. I'm, uh, that's probably why I don't remember him. Yeah, I wasn't much of a Green Arrow reader either. Oh, look, he's conveniently got a green target on his chest. Right, but he <laughs> makes, you, uh, makes you experience Vertigo, Yes. so Green Arrow can't aim his arrows. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, so he's mocking him with the target. Yeah. Oh, if only you could shoot me. <laughs> he uses his power to disrupt his enemy's balance. Mm-hmm. During a fight with the Justice Society of America, Dr. Midnight suggested that the source of Count Vertigo's powers was a condition known as Menier's disease, which we mentioned earlier in this Mm -hmm. episode. This condition causes constant vertigo in those affected, and in some cases, such as that of Count Vertigo, deafness. Oh, there you go. Count Vertigo is deaf. Therefore, the hearing aid devices used by Vertigo to inflict his condition on others are necessary for him to be able to hear or maintain his balance. Creating a weakness that his opponents can exploit. Got it. There always is a weakness. Isn't I there? don't think. Now, this is the second Count Vertigo. There was a different actor playing Count Vertigo in seasons one and two, and this Count Vertigo died. Ah, there you and go. He was just a drug dealer, and the drug was called Vertigo. Oh, okay. He didn't have these Vertigo powers. Have, have, have you guys actually seen Arrow? I, I hear like it's quite good. I watched the first two, maybe three episodes. I've seen and then I got bored of it. Parts of episodes but i've never watched an entire episode all the way through but i can kind of say the same thing about smallville and this is a smallville spinoff right and i know that there are big fans of smallville Mm -hmm. but i was not one of them my problem with arrow was this was a hero who is he's going up against a big evil corporation Mm -hmm. but a lot of what he would do would be to like sneak into like the you know research places and all these corporate uh, buildings and Mm -hmm. stuff and he would literally shoot security guards through the chest with big pointy arrows Mm -hmm. and i'm like you're the hero and that dude just is a guy with a job he's murdering guys who 
maybe work for a company that's evil, but they're not necessarily evil. So basically, he needs, your to problem his, is, he needs to use his web arrows for that. Yeah, but, like I, this is the perfect chance for him to go. I need to make a boxing glove arrow. So your your problem is with is basically the scene from Clerks where they talk about the contractors on yeah, the Death the Star. Yeah, the contractors on the Death Star. Exactly. Right. It's the contractors on the Death Star defense. My problem with Arrow is that I find the main protagonist very boring and bland. Oh, even yeah? a, even as the master archer, and also where is his goatee? Count Vertigo appeared in Batman the Animated Series, uh, Young Justice, mm-hmm. excellent cartoon series, and uh, the Batman from two thousand four, the series. Yeah, I'm, uh, I I just am generally not a fan of any of the DC properties. Really well, then truly. you must be excited about the Marvel character Vertigo. I don't know who uh, who that. Oh, I do. Know. She's a. Uh, She's a mutant. mutant. Yeah, Yeah. she has been featured in many X Men comics, of which I was a fan. She's not a mutant. She's She's been genetically engineered in the Savage Land. Oh, okay. Although she was the X Men comics, she was hanging out with me. Yeah, she was one of the Marauders from the Mutant Massacre uh, crossover back back in the eighties. Eighties, yeah. Yeah, I uh, I own all those books. I have them in a box in my storage unit. And surprisingly, she has the power to cause vertigo. But she would get like the 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 waves, the like green lines coming off of her, yeah. like kind of like havoc would. But havocs would be pulverizing effect, and you just see people grab their heads and like ah and fall over. I don't remember if this is true, but that seems like the perfect opportunity to totally draw crazy shit, like yeah. draw oh, yeah. faces all stretched out and stuff like that in the comics. I don't know if they did that, but they should no, have. They, they did, did not. They do that. really didn't. There's a lot of head clutching. Boo. Yeah, that, that's the one that I remember, the kind of concentric circles. Yeah. And then people. Like, the, like Aquaman's yeah. um, calling out to. Very much so. Very his, much so. Like the old. His uh, fishy friends. Yeah. Now, the movie Vertigo from mm. 1958. Oh, the uh, the Hitchcock quote unquote classic. <laughs> you haven't seen it. I've seen, I've seen a number of Hitchcock quote unquote classics, but Vertigo is not one of them. You should. It's good. Well, I, I just. Jimmy Stewart kind of drives me crazy. You know, that's interesting because one of the things I learned uh, is that a, the main criticism, especially that Alfred Hitchcock had, mm-hmm. because when it was in the theater, it was kind of a flop. Okay. Oh, really? It didn't do well in the theater. Okay. But of course, it's since, you know, it even it even replaced Citizen Kane on some people's lists like later on as the best movie ever made. Right. But at the time, people were saying Jimmy Stewart's too old to be the leading man. Right. Alfred Hitchcock kind of regretted putting him in the role because he thought that he was too old to be a well, leading man. Especially when you have like a twenty-four-year-old Kim Novak. Yes, right. And they like I, you know, you you look at the promo material and you see them side by side and you go, "Wait, are they playing father daughter or yeah, what he's is like going 25 on?" Twenty-five years older than he's her at, the at time. least. 50, yeah, yeah. He was fifty when they filmed that. So Jimmy Stewart stars as a former police detective forced into early retirement. Retirement. Because an incident in the line of duty has caused him to develop acrophobia, extreme fear of heights, and vertigo. Uh, trivia. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uncredited second unit cameraman, Ermin Roberts, invented the famous zoom out and track in shot, now sometimes called contra zoom or trombone shot. What do you call it when you're zooming in and pulling out at the same time? I call it the Jaws shot. No, zoom that's out, the first track time. in. Yeah. Zoom that, out, track in. That's the, uh, that's the first time I ever saw it was in Jaws when uh, he's sitting, he's standing there on the beach yep. and he like thinks that the shark is in the water the first time yep. and they do that shot and he just like goes, everybody out of the water. That's, uh, so that's where I remember it from. The technique was inspired by a time when Hitchcock had fainted during a party. Is that synesthesia? When I associate a memory with a shot in a movie, is that a type of synesthesia? Am I a synesthete? Yes. I'm, I'm a movie to memory synesthete. <laughs> <laughs> None of those are a sense. Oh. 
All right, Spidey sense. Tingling, yeah, he does report it as a tingling. Maybe what? he's got magnets implanted oh, in it, like spider a magnets? crown. Spider magnets. Yeah. They would have to be magnets that sense danger? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Magnetic your, danger. What is your favorite portrayal of Spider-Man's Spidey sense? Because originally in the comics, as I recall, half of his face, like he'd be in Peter yes. Parker... Yeah, and half of his face would turn Going. into a Spider-Man mask, and he'd have the, the wavy, wavy lines. lines coming up. Yeah, yeah, and that's that was eventually uh, they dropped the mask part. Yeah, the wavy lines was also uh, portrayed in the cartoon from the sixties. I think that's correct. Yeah, yeah. I know. I'm pretty sure. Like he in would later put his cartoon, hand to more, his head, and there would be the wavy lines. More recent, in more recent cartoons, they would kind of do like a um, inverse colors, Got like it. flash inverse colors. Okay, so briefly. Do you have a preference? I like the half. <laughs> I like the half. You like the, the OG, mask. You like to go OG. You like I the half like mask. The so then you, you sort of like he's having a Spider-Man moment, even though yeah. he's dressed like Peter Parker. Although, if he was already in his Spider-Man costume, would half of his face have to go Peter Parker? Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> when think, the rhino was throwing something from behind his head. I don't think that's what. I, don't, I think they just kept him. I think they just added the wavy lines. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's too bad. <laughs> it was, Peter Parker senses tingling. Oh, there's the hot oh, yeah. chick. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever loved the way because it always feels like a, a let's make something up to explain why this guy who could literally be shot by a gun never gets shot by a gun. So if your Spidey sense detects danger, what does your Peter Parker sense detect? Teenage girls. Mm. Uh, but he was a photographer. Maybe it'd be like a good photography moment. Composition. Composition, yeah. right? You know, because I mean, he wasn't always a teenager. He was only a teenager in issue one. You know, then he went off to college and whatever, whatever. How about uh, the Peter Parker? He lived in New York, so maybe it was uh, the it, he could he knew when the right train was coming. There you go. Maybe right in the he, subway. Maybe he knew when it was safe to masturbate. Oh, nobody's going to be come <laughs> knocking on my door now. Yeah, I got time. I can tell from my teenager sense. Uh, my my Peter Parker sense is tingling, and yep. it's time to get on my natural occurring <laughs> web shooter. It's not the only part that's tingling. <laughs> Now, am I wrong in thinking that the Tobey Maguire spider sense was just like a slowing down of frames? Oh, the, everything would go into bullet mode? time. Yeah, yeah, is that right? Yeah. At the beginning, when he just gets his powers, Flash Thompson is going to hit him, and everything kind of slows down, and he just yeah. moves his face out of the way. Right, right, stuff like that. What about in the newer Spider-Man? You've watched the newest. I did. They don't really talk about it too much. So I watched uh, Amazing Spider-Man a while ago, and it was completely like forgettable. I felt it was. Yes, I, I, I boycotted. Like I was like, that was a Spider-Man movie. I I'm, guess I'm boycotting this entire uh, line of of Spider-Man. Movies. Well, I recently watched Amazing Spider-Man two, and holy cow, was it bad! Like it was. It looked uh, bad. Spider-Man is a wisecracking, totally cool, handsome Guido. Oh. Like he is not. Uh, they try to play him up as a I rem- nerd. I remember Spider-Man being wisecracking. Mm. He totally was, but it was like a geeky guy trying to overcome the fact that you know, like yeah. that he, he was only wisecracking yeah. when he put on the suit. And in Amazing Spider-Man, like he's like the coolest kid in school. Yeah, the only time they seem to have gotten Peter Parker right in the last five movies was in the first Sam Raimi one. Yeah, yeah, the very first one. Yeah, you need that offset of cool, like heroic underdog Spider-Man, and then the geeky nobody but uh, Mary Jane loves him, Peter Parker. You know what the Peter Parker sense should be? You should have the sense to not get in a shitty movie. <laughs> it's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad 
Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson because he was cursed by a vengeful gypsy. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Jenny May, and thanks for listening. Yeah, and Sorry. uh, uh, uh. <clears throat> no, don't do it. Oh. <laughs> and now the segment everyone's been asking for. Oh yeah, Torin <laughs> masturbating to a picture of his own face. <laughs> I don't think any of the other stuff we did was recorded, so that may be out of context. <laughs>